Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you can only afford to make your mortgage payments, you might have a nice roof over your head, but you've got no wealth. You're essentially sort of like trapped working forever. Rent is also crazy high at the moment. What are your thoughts on the whole rent versus buy debate? I think that's where some people can go wrong when it comes to money. The people go, buying your own home's a good idea, or renting is dead money, or super is bad, or super is good. All of those things can be right and they can be wrong. So it's about what's the right thing for you, and that depends on where you're at in your money journey. So it's what people need to figure out. Any other things that you see more people should know about this, but maybe not everybody knows? One thing that is a bit of a barrier for people when it comes to their money and getting the results that they want is... Hey friends and welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a very, very, very exciting guest. We have Ben Nash Don't in the studio. It, <laughs> yeah. Ben is a published author and he's also a financial advisor. And he also makes content as well. If that wasn't enough, he also makes content. And we're gonna be talking to him about all things finance and how to build your wealth. So welcome, Ben. Good to be here. No, I'm looking forward to the chat. Me too, me too. So before we get into the podcast, do you have yes. a money win to share? Well, yes. I found $50 on the street just in front of my office the other day. So, wow. Yeah, just walking down the street, $50. I don't know how repeatable that is, but uh, anyway, it was a win. That's so good. I love that. I love finding money. Oh, it's been so – like I haven't found money for years, like since – I feel like since I was a kid, but – Anyway, 50 bucks, there it was. I feel like it used to be a lot easier to come by. And then yeah. nowadays it's because just so much Because people used to harder. carry cash more, I yeah. think. And now no one's carrying cash so much. So, you know, where did that come from? It's exactly. like someone's grandma might have dropped it or something. I know, I right? I about that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I feel like with cash, it's kind of like, it's a free-for-all, right? Like, you, know, you know, don't know who dropped I did the cash, wait. you I know? Yeah. There was no one there. That's mine now. Yeah, exactly. As long as it's not part of a wallet. But that's my no. rule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a fair rule. Yeah. Okay. So my money win is we got free gelato the other day, which Ooh. is really nice. It nice. was like a van near our office. I got two flavors. I got chocolate and salted caramel. Nice. Because I saw someone else doing it and I'm like, maybe I can get two scoops <laughs> as well. Like how good is that? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Just remember that anything that we talk about in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't constitute personal financial advice. You can read our full financial services guide in the description below. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of our land and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. So before we get into, I guess, paying down your mortgage faster and strategies around how to do that, the rent versus buy kind mm. of debate as mm. well, and some other questions about how to build wealth. But before we get into that, I'm curious, like, what are your early memories regarding money and what made you curious about kind of taking this career path? Yeah, well, I actually didn't know that money was a job like finance like I, I hadn't actually no concept of that and when I was a kid I 
I don't know, I, I wanted to do some random things. I think I wanted to be a doctor until I realized I didn't really like blood that much. Anyway, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then my nan actually gave me this book. I think I was about 14 at the time, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, it just really sort of blew my mind how he explained concepts that I really had no understanding of in a fairly simple way and then the principles that he talks about and from there I was sort of hooked and then I just started reading more and learning more. That was what drove the interest in uh, in finance. Then I went and uh, I went and studied finance at uni. I, I didn't do it straight away after high school. I sort of worked for a while but then studied then got into finance and I sort of, I wanted to do financial advice or like helping people financial planning. But when I got into uni, like I think a lot of people do that, there's all this talk of like investment banking and that like the high flying finance world. And I sort of got drawn into that a little bit, but I got my first job and I thought I'd use it as like a stepping stone job because I didn't have any experience in the industry, but I just immediately loved it and like we were chatting about it just before offline the the fact that everyone's a little bit different the fact that there's so much education and I think that's where the content stuff came from with me that good financial advice is advice that people understand well enough to follow through on and that's why the educational element is I think so integral to to financial planning or good financial planning and so yeah I was just really drawn into that and yeah I suppose the rest is history. Nice. Oh, that's really cool. I also love the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. So many great lessons in there. Robert Kiyosaki's gone a little bit crazy, I think, though, <laughs> in recent years, but uh, but the principles are still rock solid. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think at the end of the day that there's uh, there's sort of fundamental stuff with money, and I know that that's a, a lot of the things that you talk about in, in your content. It's what shines through in mine as well. Like there's a lot of different ways to be right when it comes to money, but there are also some some clear principles that everyone really needs to nail if you, if you want to be smart with your money as well. Mm. For sure, for sure. I agree. Mm. Well, that's really cool. So nowadays interest rates are crazy high. You yep. know, a lot of people are looking for ways that they can pay down their mortgages faster. Do you have any strategies on like just different ways that people can do that? Well, yeah, look, there. there I think there's a few tax saving strategies that can help you end up with like holding on to more of your pay that then free up extra dollars that you can use to pay down your mortgage faster. Like at the end of the day, you can budget and you probably should budget and be clear on that and have a good system around how you manage your money. And I think that actually does go a long way to helping you save, pay down debt, do all of those things faster. Uh, but there's a limit to to what you can do there. So I think one of the, the strategies that we use is like investing, investing and paying down debt. And then you can sort of combine the two together through a debt recycling strategy. Essentially, like when you invest into shares, that the long-term return on the share market is about nine, well, like the last 30 years being like 9.8% in Australia, a little bit higher if you look at the US share market. And so at the moment, we've got mortgage interest rates at about five, 6%, depending on, you know, who you're with or whatever. So if you're investing in shares compared to paying down your mortgage, you're probably going to be slightly ahead because your shares are going to give you nine-ish percent. Your mortgage is costing you 6%. So there's a little bit of like what you'd call an arbitrage opportunity there. You can take that to another level though through a debt recycling strategy. And what, what that's about is essentially you 
pay down your home mortgage debt, which is non-tax deductible on your home. And at the same time, you you draw the money back out of that debt and use it to invest. Because you're taking the money out of your mortgage to invest, that means that the interest is then tax deductible to you. So in addition to the fact that your shares are, are giving you a better return than what your mortgage is, is costing you, that you get to the tax deductions on top. So that's a strategy that can save you thousands of dollars of tax each year, meaning that you build a nice investment portfolio and ultimately you, you're reducing your non-tax deductible home loan debt and creating a nice tax deductible investment debt. So it's one of my favorite strategies. I still remember when the first time a, a mentor of mine who was another financial advisor explained this strategy, I was like, wow, is that legal? Like it, it just doesn't seem right because it's like your debt sort of stays the same, but your non-tax deductible debt goes down and your tax deductible debt increases and then you build this share portfolio. So it's a really solid strategy. And I think it's not right for everyone, but you know, if you're in the sweet spot, then it can be a way that you pay down your mortgage faster, do some nice investing and be be use the rules to your advantage essentially. Yeah, it is such an interesting strategy. Mm. It takes a bit of time to to wrap your head around as well. So if people are listening and they're a bit confused, don't worry. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I think it sounds a little bit complicated. And I think if you are going to look at using a strategy like that, get some advice, whether it's you know good mortgage broking advice or use a financial planner to make sure that you understand it. But it's probably not a sort of strategy that you should entirely be doing on your own unless you're already a finance pro. Yeah, exactly. I think also even an accountant as well, just to also run the numbers as well, just to make sure that, mm. you know, there is like a tax saving there as well. But yeah, it's a really interesting strategy, something Pablo and I are actually looking at doing ourselves. And yeah, we're, we're looking at potentially like changing our mortgage into like a a loan that's a little bit easier to take out money in yeah. order to debt recycle, chatting to our accountants just to make sure we run the numbers there, make sure it makes sense, yeah. and also financial advisors. So it's it's good to have some good people in your court so that you can bounce ideas off. But yeah, totally. really cool And make idea. sure that you've got the right products as well. And I think there are some innovations in that sort of space with loan products that are flexible around that, but you want to make sure that you set things up right from the start, for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Well, that's really cool. And I'm curious, for people that don't have mortgages, we also know that rent is also crazy high at the mm. moment. You know, rent is increasing. What are your thoughts on the whole rent versus buy kind of like debate, you know? Well, I, I think that everyone wants or most people want to own their own home. They want their own space. They want the uh, the security that comes with that, not having to deal with rent rises and all of those sorts of things. But Buying your own home is expensive, particularly depending on where you live, but particularly in Sydney where we are, it's like the average uh, median house price is like $1.3 million for an average house. Like that's that's a lot of money. And so when a lot of people think about buying their own home, they they think about can I afford to make those mortgage payments or can I afford the deposit? And that is important. But in my opinion, if you're thinking about can you afford your own home, what that really, what affording really means to me is that you can afford to cover your mortgage payments and pay down your mortgage in a time frame that you're happy with and have enough money left over for your savings and investments. Because if you can only afford to pay, make your mortgage payments, then you, you might have a nice roof over your head, but you've got no wealth, like you've got no investments. So that means that you're essentially sort of like trapped working forever. So everyone, I think, can 
fund their own home if, if they're prepared to work at it. But you need to make sure that the timing is right because the right move at the wrong time is a wrong move. And I think that's where some people or a lot of people can go wrong when it comes to money, that people go buying your own home is a good idea or renting is dead money or share investing is good or super is bad or super is good. Like all of those things can be right and they can be wrong. So it's about like what's the right thing for you? And that depends on where you're where you're at in your money journey. So it's what people need to figure out. But I think that that's probably the first thing that if you're thinking about buying your own home, make sure that it's not about just making the mortgage payments that you can still save and invest and pay down that debt. Don't be afraid of, of renting or rent vesting as well. And like I say all of that with my opinion is that building wealth through property, it's the most effective way to actually get ahead. And that's because when you buy property, investment property specifically, it's not like you're just saving up money and investing it. You're saving it and then you're getting money from the bank and then you've got this big investment that's actually working and growing for you. So if you save up $10,000 or $100,000, you could go buy $10,000 or $100,000 worth of shares or you could go borrow money and buy a half a million dollar property. And so long as you buy a good property, long as you choose a good one, you're going to make so much more money than you will with just like investing into shares as much as investing in shares is a great idea as well. So I think that people, if you're thinking about that decision, you need to be crystal clear on the numbers. This is where having good people in your corner can help good mortgage broker or a good advisor, or just taking the time to educate yourself and rock your own spreadsheet to really understand that. And then you make your decision based on the num on the numbers but also balancing it against the emotion because i think like property is an emotional purchase particularly when it comes to your own home everyone knows how it makes them feel already you don't need a spreadsheet for that but how you feel is important but it's not the only important thing because it's a it's a financial decision right so the numbers are important too so you want to understand both and then choose the one that you feel gives you the the best of both worlds or the right balance uh, between the two if that makes sense mm. Yeah, that's very true. It's very true. I think there's so many things to work out and it, it's all different depending on, yeah, different people, where you live, you know, what the, the prices are where you are. But yeah, I think it's um definitely an interesting one to look down. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of generational stuff that comes around property as well, like our parents' generation and they've, they've got their beliefs and then they they sort of, they drill that into your brain. And then, you know, some of it's really solid. Some of it is maybe not as solid. And so I think you got to try and remove what you think, you know, I suppose, and like really start from the start. Cause these days the world is a bit different to what was then like there, there's a lot of fundamental principles that still apply, but then there's also things that have changed so much that the right strategy 50 years ago is not necessarily what it is today. And I think particularly for younger people, it's like, we're pretty aspirational. We've got, we want freedom. We want flexibility. We want to live where we want. We want to give back. We want to provide for our family. It's like, these are really great aspirations. They're also really expensive ones to do all of those things and do them all together. And I think we're really lucky to live in, in one of the greatest countries in the world, but living well in Australia is, is not cheap. You know, the, it was just looking at some stuff. I don't think I, I saw it on someone online. I'm not sure you might've even covered this, but Australia is the 13th most expensive place in the world. The 13th most expensive country in the world to live when it comes to happiness and living in a good area and, and living well. And so it's a, it's a big deal to do that. It's like, it's not an easy thing, which means it, if you really want to do it and, and, 
get there, you know, as quickly as you can, but in a in a way without taking excessive risk. It's like you've got to be using all of the bits of your money to and all of the rules around that to your advantage as well. Mm, very true. And then also I think something else to add to the point about mortgages is also that you know, you still want to enjoy your life as well. Like you don't want to take out something like such a huge mortgage that you never get to like, I don't know, go on a trip somewhere, you know, or like treat yourself every now and again. So that's also something I think that comes into play. And it's like you could do the whole, you know, super strict budget for a Mm. little while. You know, I'm sure we've all been there on like super shoestring budgets, but I feel like long term, it's like not the best as well either. Yeah, it can be really unsustainable. And we talk to a lot of people, they they come to us like I run a financial advice business and people want help with their planning. And they're like, especially for people when they start having a family and they're, they're going like, we're running out of space, we need another bedroom, we want that location, we want to renovate this property. And it's like it, it gets so expensive and people like consider selling all of their investments just to have this lovely home. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And they look at the value of that home and go, well, yeah, I've got a $2 million or a $3 million home. And sure, you do, like on paper, but as long as you live in that house, that house is never going to make you a single dollar. So... Yes, it's nice to have a nice home, but you need success with your money is that you've got enough investments, like actual income generating investments that give you an income so that you no longer have to work. The more you spend on your own home, the less you're going to have left over for investing firstly, but the more of your wealth is tied up in an asset that's not generating you any income. So like if someone's got an asset position of $5 million, you might go, wow, they're rich. But if they've got a four and a half million dollar home and 500 grand in investments, they're going to be pretty far away from financial freedom. Whereas if they've got a half a million dollar home and four and a half million investments, they're financially free, like almost certainly. So it does, you know, not the money is not all the same depending on what you actually do with it. Mm, yeah, that's a very interesting thought. Very interesting. So don't concept. rush out and buy a four and a half million dollar home. Cleaning, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it is very interesting. And if you're enjoying this podcast so far, don't forget to give us a follow so you don't miss an episode. And what are some other mistakes that you see people making when it comes to money? I think the biggest mistake that I'm seeing people make, and it's happening quite a lot today, is that people are leaving money sitting in bank accounts or offset accounts thinking that it's the smartest thing to do because there's a lot of uncertainty in the world at the moment. There's a lot of, you know, uh, negative media and clickbaity headlines and those sorts of things. And I think it's cash and and offset cash, it it makes us feel good because it's safe and we understand it. And what people don't realize is that even though having money in a bank account might be making you 5% or saving you 5 or 6% on your mortgage, when you factor in inflation and taxes, your money is going backwards in real terms. So not only is your money not growing, it's actually not, doesn't have the same purchasing power or it won't have the same purchasing power in 12 months that it has today. So if you want to actually have your money 
growing for you, then you need to be investing into growth investments, things like shares and property, which essentially grow with inflation, more tax effective, and will actually compound it at a fast rate. Cash is important in terms of an emergency fund. Like you should always have money to fall back on. So I'm not saying invest, you know, don't have any money in cash, but just the the opportunity cost that's created when you have a bunch of money sitting in a bank account is really significant. Like it basically when you're not investing, you don't make you might make an extra thousand dollars in the next 12 months. But it's not just that $1,000 that it costs you because it's what that $1,000 would then grow to in the next 12 months and then the 12 months beyond that. And we've got this calculator that we can plug this into and you see that you think it, you're playing it safe, but you're actually costing yourself tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars by going down that path. So I think that's probably the biggest one that I'm seeing today. The own home one is, a, is another mistake that I see people make, not just not really being crystal clear on the numbers as well. And I think that the third biggest one is probably tax and people not using all of the tax rules to their advantage. And I get that because the tax rules are a little bit complicated and they can be confusing. And I think people want to do smart things, but they don't want to make a mistake that they regret later. And it's like you start to do a bit of research and you might find an idea and think, oh, I should probably pursue that. But then you start doing research, then you get a couple more questions. It's hard to answer those questions. And then you sort of get spinning your wheels. And then I think because we're all time poor and then it just goes in a too hard basket, you end up doing nothing. And then, you know, you don't take the action that you need to, to get the results that you want. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. I guess little steps at a time, baby steps, but yeah, investing is always a good thing to do. And it's good. You can start with like, you don't have to put, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in there at the beginning, you can start small, which is great. Yeah. These days, the products are getting so good that the platforms, like some of them, you can start with as little as one cent. A lot of them, it's like $5. So, and I get that in the moment we're in this cost of living crisis and people are feeling much more stretched today than what they were, you know, for recent years. But I can tell you for sure that there's such a big difference in your mindset between investing nothing and investing $5 a week or a month. Like usually, at least you feel like you're investing. You're probably learning a bit of stuff. You're paying a little bit more attention and you're more likely to increase like how much you're investing over time. Whereas a lot of people go, and we've seen it in the data. I'm sure you've seen it as well, that people go, oh no, too tight. I'll just switch off the investing and and then it takes a long time before they get back into the tent after. So I, I think that's that's a mistake to avoid for sure. Small progress is better than no progress at all. Yeah, very true. Very true. Oh, I love it. And any other, I guess, like things that, that you see that I feel like more people should know about this, you know, but maybe not everybody knows. Look, I think one thing that I is a bit of a barrier for people when it comes to their money and and getting the results that they want is particularly when people are earlier on in their journey with their money. I think that they can, it's easy to get overwhelmed by thinking that you need to know everything to move forward, but you don't. And, And I think that like, if you think about someone that's really financially successful, they probably know a lot of stuff about investing and tax and, you know, all these different things but everyone's got to start somewhere. And I think money is a is a muscle. It's like a skill that you build over time. And I'm sure those people that are really, really financially successful, 
they all started somewhere. They all started at a point where they didn't know that much about money and they learn a couple of things, then put those skills into action, then build on that knowledge and then it sort of compounds from there. So you probably, it's good to know all of those things, but trying to learn them can be quite overwhelming. So instead of trying trying to learn it all, all you need to know is enough to take the next step. And once you take that step, you're going to learn some stuff along the way. Then the step beyond that probably becomes a little bit clearer. You, you're going to learn from that step. And then before you know it, you keep taking those incremental steps and you look back and go, wow, I've actually learned quite a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And you're in a stronger position for moving forward. So I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when it comes to money and you need to know everything or, you know, you need to get it right. Or I think because everyone gets paid, you know, on a regular basis, we feel like money should be easy, but you know that it's like, there's so much to it that unless it's your full-time job to learn this stuff, or you've got a ton of experience and you've done it over a long period of time, like, of course, there's going to be uh, gaps and things you don't know. And that's totally okay. That's, you don't need all of that stuff right now. It's great to aim at getting there in the future, but focus on what's next, learn from that step and build your momentum from there. That's so true. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people get stuck on like the investing step where it's like, which broker do I pick? You know, which one's the best one? And then there are so many and they all have different pros and cons. And it's just like, and then maybe they never end up making an investment because Mm. they're just stuck on the step of like, which one's the best one? You know, and it's like, but they're all kind of the same. And even if you pick one you don't like, you can always change it later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the returns are pretty much the same. Like unless you've got like more than $200,000 is the number that I would say is like the threshold. You are not going to notice a difference between using any one of the online brokers and really, like, unless you've got more than $100,000, you're probably not even going to notice that much of a difference between which ETF you choose. Like, they all perform pretty similar. And if you don't have heaps and heaps, like, of money, you won't notice it. But people do get paralyzed, like you say. And it's because everyone wants to make the best choice, but they don't realize we never know what the best thing is until after the fact. And, yeah, it's, it's people are also often missing out on actually taking action and getting their money actually working for them. So you can change. You probably will change. There's so much more power in getting started than there is in getting it perfect. So true, yeah. And, by the way, we also have, like, a, a cheat sheet with a few different broker options and we've compared it in a spreadsheet. So if you wouldn't like to see Who's that. The best? I have, like, I don't know. I've honestly got a few different brokers. Mm. Like, I've opened up so many because I guess it's, like, my yeah. job to, like, test them and try out a few different ones. Like, yeah. I've got, like, Sharesies. I've got Perla, obviously. That's the one that I use most of the time to, like, because I love yeah. the automated investments. Stake, I tried Raise as well, Spaceship. I honestly, I'm, there's more. Self-wealth, I've oh, also yeah. tried. Like, there's so many, you yeah. know, and they're all pretty good, to be honest. Like, yeah. there's not a crazy, crazy difference. Totally, yeah. And the technology is getting better such that, like, in the past, and I would say 10 years ago, like, you were really limited in the options, a lot of paperwork heavy. I think these platforms all make it really easy, so... They're all pretty good. Get started and you can change, I think, once you built a bit of cash. And it's really easy these days to consolidate as well. Yeah, exactly. And ETFs, that's a good point as well because that's another one people get stuck on. But it's like if you pick an ETF and then you realise you actually want to invest in another one, like you can always invest in a different ETF later. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's that's interesting. It. Yeah, you can sell it or you can you can transfer it. 
Like you're not setting it if you're forever strategy now, you're just setting what you think is best. Yeah, exactly. And I think that not making a decision is a decision in itself. Totally. You know, it's like better to make a decision, even if it's the wrong decision, than not making anything. Doing nothing has risk attached. Like, you know, everything has risk attached to it. Buying shares, buying property, buying crypto, doing nothing. It's just that the doing nothing risk most people don't think about because it's there. But like we see at the moment, inflation, interest rates, the opportunity cost that comes with that, there is risk there. Exactly, exactly. On the topic of crypto, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on crypto? Do you have any yourself or and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, look, I, th- I do have a bit of crypto in my portfolio. It's like a small portion on the, the side. And I think crypto is really interesting. I also think that no one needs crypto. And I think if everyone <laughs> lived their entire life without investing a single dollar in crypto, they're going to be totally fine and perhaps even better. But I do think it's an interesting space and there probably is some money to be made there. But where I think people go wrong is that they go too hard and all in at crypto. And I think when it comes to money, there are different stages that people go through. So if you've already got tons of investments behind you, you can really comfortably invest in higher risk, higher potential reward investments, knowing that if they blow up, you're still going to be fine. Where I've seen people go wrong with crypto is that they'll start with crypto and it's like 100% crypto in their investments. And it's like, it's a it's a roller coaster. Maybe if you get really lucky on your timing, maybe it works out okay. But if you get unlucky, you, you're basically having to go back to the starting line. So in my opinion, sticking to the more traditional investments, diversified share portfolio, index type funds, build a foundational level of wealth. And once you've done that, only if you are interested in this space, you can then say, well, I'm going to put 2% or 5% of my new investments are going to go into these more speculative investments. And you can do that with with comfort, knowing that you've got the, you know, the foundation sorted. I think if you, if you do it too early, yeah, you, you're running a bit too much risk, but it's definitely an interesting space. I think one really positive thing of crypto is it's got a lot of people thinking more about their money and thinking more about investing. Yeah, yeah I think it's it's I'm I'm he- I'm happy at the moment with the bounce that there's <laughs> been in the last little bit, but it's been you can see like the last couple of years have been pretty painful for a lot of crypto investors and one thing I would say to people listening is that be careful with like 2021. I feel like every single person that contacted us at Pivot Wealth was going I I want to consider crypto as part of my portfolio. I want to include it. How can we talk about it? And we can educate them around it. And we did. Some people listened to our guidance and did some of it, but did a little bit of crypto investing on the side. Some people didn't and went guns blazing and got caught up and particularly like the staking crash and UST and all of the drama that came with that. So most of the time, the worst investments are made when the market is the hottest but we don't, our inner investor is going, oh, it's going to keep going up. And then it's like, you get that FOMO that you don't want to miss out and you end up making bad decisions. So just, you want to be careful, like in doing that, particularly because crypto seems like it's on a bit of a run at the moment. Yeah, it's so true. What yeah. do you think? I also have a bit of crypto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Five, 10%. I think Probably it's less of my portfolio now because I haven't been investing in it in a while. Mm. I've been investing since 2017 and I've been burnt before because at that time 
it was like my first time. And then it had this like crazy run up in like 2018. Mm. I like forexed my money and I was like, I'm just like a genius. I'm yeah. going to be a billionaire yeah. by the time I'm 30. Yeah. And then it just crashed and I lost all the confidence. And then now I know because yeah. I've been burnt. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that again. So yeah. I just do care, just the big ones, Bitcoin, Ethereum, tiny yeah. little bit, what I'm prepared to lose. And um, and I said and forget, I don't look at it. I don't look at it because if I look at it, it's mm. like it's like an emotional roller coaster, isn't it? Totally, yeah. <laughs> and I think that there's a, there's probably a lesson in that because, in my opinion, that it's the bigger players in crypto, like the bigger players when it comes to share investing, and the more premium areas when it comes to property investing, that tend to be more stable than the others. So, like, I've only got Bitcoin in my portfolio. The only other one that I would buy is ETH. I would stay away, even though there's probably some money to be made, there's a lot more risk the when you get into that second tier and down. And this is where a lot of people got really badly burnt over the last little while. So I think you stick to premium. It doesn't mean you're fully protected, but it does go a fair way to it's still a bit of a roller coaster, but it's at least it's a little bit less wild. Yeah. And I think if you sometimes it's like nice to scratch that itch. Like I feel like it could go either way. Like we could be right about it or we could be completely wrong, but it's like at least most of our assets are in like safe stuff Mm. and you still scratch that itch. So it still feels like you're kind of still in it, even if it's a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting and it's engaging. You can also play video games though if you're looking for excitement. So it's like you don't need to do it all with your investment portfolio a little bit. But I think that the educational piece and it's like, you know, startups or smaller companies, a little bit of that if you do it in a, in a considered way with your risk managed that you're not probably facing excessive risk and then you're going to pay a bit more attention as well. Yeah, that was amazing. I, I really, really thoroughly enjoyed listening to everything that you have to say. Um, where can people find out more about you? My financial advice business is Pivot Wealth. So we've got a ton of different content and resources, which you can check out on the Pivot Wealth website, which is just pivotwealth.com.au. And TikTok, it's Ben Talks Money, Instagram, Pivot Ben. And we're on the live on the Mo Money podcast as well on your podcast platform of preference. And we've got all the links below in the show notes, so you can check that out. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ben. It's awesome. Good to be here. Good to chat. Oh, good to chat. 